made possible by you. Visit www.allgirlsconsidered.org donate to help us build a better world of endless possibilities for girls. This is Audrey and Hi. this is Ashley. Hello. So we wanted to start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us some background. My name is Kai Frazier. I am a teacher by trade. Um, my degree is in history, so I'm a history teacher. I love working with students, so I worked with students for about 15 years. Um, and then I wanted to move from teaching history to working with history. Uh, so I started working in history museums, and that was really cool, Getting um, listening to eyewitness accounts and things like that. So my job was producing stories um, from turbulent times in history so people can um, consume it easier on social media and be informed and then my big pet peeve from working at um to teaching to working at museums in washington dc a lot of the museums are free because they're federal so my big pet peeve is my students i used to teach they couldn't afford to go to the free museums uh, because they didn't have uh the money for the, the schools couldn't afford the buses to get them there or you also have to provide school lunches for kids so i couldn't they couldn't afford the school lunches for the big group of kids so they never got to go so i wanted to find a way that would allow my students to visit the museum even if they couldn't get there um i saw how big of a problem it was uh, worldwide people weren't being able to go on field trips so I started my company which is curated by Kai um, because I wanted to curate diverse exhibitions for students they could view them I I honestly thought I was gonna have a blog uh, that showed how to get to a cool thing I have no tech background whatsoever but VR kept being one of those things where it was like uh, you can probably pull this off and I was like no I'm sure I can't um, and the more I kept just trying um, and just actually did it I'm big on like start where you are so I, all I had to do was buy a camera and go there um, and film the things and just start from there. Uh, once I started to do that, we saw it was possible. And my company went from a blog to a VR company in about one month. And then since then, it's been a race just to try to get content um, that will help in the classroom. That's really, that's amazing. Yeah. I was wondering, since you said you had no tech background, what was that Ooh. like from having no tech background to making things that was so tech involved? Yeah. Um, I will tell you that at first, so I moved from Washington, D.C. to Silicon Valley, uh, the Silicon Valley area, which is like tech, which is tech, all tech, all day. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I was going to have nothing to offer because I have no tech background. I don't speak the language and I don't code. And I barely understand half the things that are being told to me. But what I learned very quickly was they didn't have the knowledge of being uh, in real world situations because they've been coding usually like in a closed off area, not talking to people. So they have an inability to see how their products affect people. And I see that so often. They've talked to like one of my big things that I um, come up against is being in Silicon Valley, there's Wi-Fi on the sidewalk. So when I go to a rural school, they don't understand that there's no Wi-Fi yeah. or that there's a possibility of life with no Wi-Fi. So it's very hard for them to understand the world beyond what they're seeing in front of them. And then, you know, every day I have to be in the tech space, you know, you inevitably learn stuff through osmosis. Um, so it gets easier. It gets a little bit less challenging every day, but it's still super challenging. Do you feel like your career is a male-dominated career? And if it is, how do you feel like that impacts you? Male domination was not my worst problem uh, in my career. Discrimination was my worst problem. Yeah. So for me, it's very male-heavy. Well, let me step back. So I went to college 
in Richmond, Virginia, which is a Confederate capital. And I got a history degree in the Confederacy, basically. So my career in academia up until that point was more of a every window's closed, every door is slammed. I can't get anything. No matter what I do, it doesn't work. I have to find like a plan A through Z for everything I want to do because it's going to get shut down so many times. When I got into tech, it was more of a, hey, can you do this? Oh, cool. Then come hang out with us. Yeah. It was like, it was all the barriers that I was used to remove. And it was very hard to um, comprehend and understand. Uh, and it was even to the point that when I first came out here, I would maybe meet people who didn't want to talk to me or very awkward around me. And I was like, oh, man, they're racist here, too. And then I realized that that's not what it was. They don't have people skills. It sounded like I was talking to robots. Like I would meet them and they're like, hello, how are you? Do you? And I was like, oh my God, they've never really had conversation that much. Uh -huh. So it's not everybody, but I see a lot of that out here. So it's just trying to, um, so male domination, I'm usually the only female at a lot of things. It gets sometimes awkward um, at a conferences, especially like you have late evening events and you're like the like when you're waiting for your ride and there's nothing but the kind of creepy men, yeah. things like that. But that has nothing on what I experienced uh, in Richmond, Virginia and D.C. trying to just simply do my job. Do you want to touch on that a little bit more, what it was like? And did that ever inspire you to be who you are now? Did that inspire you to work harder and to just like prove yourself and show these people that you're worth so much more than they can see? Yes and no. Um, yes, ideally, when you're young starting off, it's like that, but you get beat up so much that it's like painful just to come to work. Yeah. So at a certain point, you're like, how can I put my head down, do my work and, and not get into trouble by asking a question or challenging a male or, you know, even when I say challenging a male, I mean, if they say something and I have an opinion, it's very easy. I may be in disciplinary action because I spoke up in a way that's not, I, not, I, I don't want to say like I'm being com combative, but I saw a lot of men who are very fragile. So to say anything made them feel threatened and then they could make my life very difficult because I don't have power in these systems. I didn't realize how bad it was until I moved out here. And I felt like a scare. I felt like I was coming off as a scared slave, like my first four or five months here, because I was afraid to talk. Um, anytime I saw somebody white, I didn't feel like I was going back into my DC habits of like, I don't want to rock the bow. I don't want to do this stuff. I remember one of the most jarring experiences for me being out here was. Um, Growing up in the South, you're raised that sometimes if you're walking and you see like a white man on the sidewalk and it doesn't look very safe, you might have to get off that sidewalk for your own safety. Um, and that's common in the South growing up. Like I was born in Georgia. Um, so when, when things like that, when I came to, uh, I live in Oakland, California now, it was the first time I saw white people get off the sidewalk for me. Um, and I was like, oh, so so when I mean I feel like a scared sleep, I was like getting off the sidewalk for people and like trying to keep my head down. And they were like, no, you belong here. Come, you know, like, and, and that was very weird for me. So, being in the Bay Area is the first time I felt like I could recognize my voice or talk about things, or I wasn't getting cut off so much that I could make full sentences. So, I feel like my um, development grew a lot from being in here. There's, um, I'm gonna mess this up terribly, but there's this um, study that talks about like a crooked room and they say like when you put somebody in a room where everything is like the 
the paintings are off like a little bit crooked or the, the chair is crooked, all these things, the person in the room more than likely will adjust their body to be crooked with everything they're seeing. And they're like, why can't they sit up straight? It's because they're perceiving everything to be a little bit off. So they unintentionally move their body. So being in the Bay was the first time I felt like things weren't crooked. Like I could actually stand up straight and live a normal life and do my job about having to worry about so many different things that were coming out from my white male-dominated academia field. You were talking about growing up in the South. Can you just expound a little bit more about... Uh... It was different social norms growing up in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta is very different than the rest of Georgia. And then I moved to Chicago, Illinois when I was younger. My whole family is. Um, Chicago is very different from Atlanta. My mom joined the military when I was about 10 or 11. And that's what moved me to the Virginia Beach area. Um, so like Tidewater. So that's where like Hampton University is. Um what else is over there? I don't know how well you know music, but like Pharrell and all of them are oh, from there God. making music. So it's like a really big, like it's a military hub, but there's some cool things that um happen out of that area. Um, but it's still the South. So it's kind of one of those inevitable things that you see yourself as other people see you. So if you're seen as not being smart or not being worthy or not, you know, um, you shouldn't be in the space, you start to unintentionally internalize it for survival. So it's like, I I know I'm smarter than all these men in the room. The worst thing that could have happened to me was like going up my museum career and being at these top meetings. And I was like, oh my God, they're all stupid. You know, I, and I never knew that. You think when you're like on the other side looking in that um, everybody's so much smarter than you and, and all these things. And you get to the table and you're like, oh my God, this is nepotism. Yeah. Um, this is like, you know... Um, just men who have tapped their friends in. This is people who have been here for so long that they're still here, but nobody, when you ask a question, you get a whole bunch of, we've always done it like that. Um, so like no real right. And it was like, whoa, this is terrible. It's just a lot of um, willful, willful ignorance. Um, and I found that I had an inability to be willfully ignorant in a lot of situations. And that was what's causing the friction. I asked too many questions. Um, so being raised as a black girl in Virginia, I can tell you first and foremost, your role is not to ask questions or not, that's not, not a lot of them. Um, so coming out to the Bay, it was like, you're not asking enough questions. Uh, so it was a very, it was like trying to unlearn a lot of behaviors that I didn't know I had inside of me. I'll give you one more example, um, which is not tech related, but I was at a going to a housewarming of a group of people um and in the group there was a black guy and we couldn't figure out the address and we're in this neighborhood and the address were kind of hidden off to the side and he like walks up to the doorstep of a house to read the address and my whole heart dropped and I was like no and he they all looking like what's wrong with you and I was like, you can't walk up to the front. Because, you know, in the South, that's shotgun, shotgun territory. You hear like, yeah. a, like, a, like a shotgun because they can shoot you. Yeah. So to just see a black man go to a doorstep that he didn't know to check an address put like t- pure terror in my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's not how they live out here. So it was just trying to unlearn a lot of those behaviors that I didn't know I had until I left the area. Would you say that living in the South had a strong impact on how you were today? Um, you know, that's uh, you guys have really strong questions. I'm so impressed. Um, so that's one of the things I challenged. I, I, um, 
is a big challenge for me because there's certain things if i'm creating out here let me take this back in silicon valley people live in a bubble and they rarely know what's happening like when the election of trump happened I told my job I was not coming to work the next day because I didn't want to do all the tears and everything. And they thought I was joking. And I was like, no, I live in the South. I know he's going to win. It's, it's going to be a nightmare. I'm not coming to work. Out here, they're still shocked of what happened. But growing up in the South, there was no shock for me. Mm -hmm. um, I have went to school with all the people who are not the best people. And, you know, in Virginia, now I'm really digressing. So in Virginia, this year, one of my... One of the most interesting news stories that I thought came out of Virginia was the governor, uh, Northrop, got caught up this year with one of the blackface scandals um, because he he was like a yearbook photo and it was hit, it was a picture of like a KKK member yeah. and somebody in blackface and his name was under it and they're like, oh, you're in blackface. He was like, no, that's not me. And they're like, well, are you the KKK member? Like, it's really bad. So he did all these press conferences and one of the press conferences he said, I know that isn't me in the black face because it's because I know how hard it is to get shoe polish off my face because I moonwalk as Michael Jackson yeah. and won the competition. And at the press conference, somebody asked him, can you still moonwalk? And I can't even make this up. The man like looked for free space and got excited to like moonwalk. And his wife was like, not appropriate, you know, so. That's the world that I lived in. Um, so coming out to the Bay, um, it was, like I said, it's, it's just very jarringly different examples. And people are building stuff in a bubble. They don't know the other side of the world that I grew up in. So when I'm making VR experiences, my challenge is I don't know if I'm putting my own internal fears into the VR experiences. Like I want kids to, our motto, we say dream big and explore the world, but I don't want world explanation to have them at a front porch of a house yeah. thinking that it's okay in the South because it's different from out here. Um, and then if you ever want to look more into that, one of the big case studies that I think is super relevant is um, playing Pokemon Go while black. I think it's a USA Today article. And, you know, I just went to a conference from Niantic, uh, who are the augmented reality makers of Pokemon Go and like a Harry Potter augmented reality game. And they're, you know, it's one thing to run around freely in a neighborhood with your phone looking for Pokemon if you're white. It's another thing to run around and whether there's a Pokemon on the doorstep in the South and you walk over to it, you may not come home. So it's really hard for people in Silicon Valley to kind of think about the, those different world situations. And I try to balance myself to not make sure I'm making VR content out of my own internal fear that I grew up with. So that's a never ending challenge for me. Long answer, but I just want you to know, like, that's where I'm always wrestling with, like, you know, am I, am I putting my fears into kids? And these are kids who grew up thinking a black president is normal. You know, like, so it's like with that group, I have to kind of think differently about what their social norms are. What inspired you to really actually go for um, making your own virtual reality? For me, when I look at VR, I think that people are overlooking a really big opportunity. Everybody's using VR for gimmicky stuff. Like one of the top VR, I, was, I just went to Facebook's um, 
Oculus Connect um, conference they have every year, for, and they bring like the top VR professionals there. It's an invite-only event. Mark Zuckerberg gives a keynote every year and announces what's going to happen in um, VR. And the number one VR experience that they tout and they just love is this game called Beat Saber. I don't know if you've ever heard of Beat Saber. It's like you're in VR, the hand controllers and like stuff is coming at you and you're like chopping it in half and it's raised all this money and people are like Beat Saber fans. And I'm like, well, what if I could have used VR to see that my school was slightly racist before I went there <laughs> by doing a college campus tour? You know, like what if I could have seen all these things um, that I didn't even know existed? And I think for a lot of the VR that's on the market, uh, it's missing. it's missing a lot of representative content. Most of the schools I go to, they're not all white. Um, it's rare that I go to a school that every child is white. However, when I look at VR experiences, just most about all of them are um, featuring uh, uh, white people, which is not bad. It's just there's, for a lot of these students, they don't think it's possible until they see somebody that looks like them in the field. Um, so it's really important to me to film everything. Like I know in my catalog right now, I'm lacking a Muslim woman and Asian woman. So it's just a, a grab bag of how do I make a socially responsible, inclusive VR catalog that kids can see themselves in, no matter what they look like. And I have to point out, it's not just so kids can see themselves, it's so other people can get used to seeing diverse people in roles too. Um, so like I have, being out here in Silicon Valley, people ask like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I have a VR company. And they pause and they're like, what VR company do you work with? And I was like, no, no, I have a VR company. And I, and there, if there's a man sitting next to me, they're always like, oh, you guys work together? Oh, I said, no, I don't know that man. And I'm telling you I have a VR company. And they can't even fathom what I'm saying because there's not really examples of black women having VR companies. So in their mind that I misspoke. Mm -hmm. And I try to, I get disappointed when that happens. But at the same point, I have to remember they've never seen it. If you don't see it, you don't know it exists most times. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you talk a lot about traveling. Do you enjoy traveling for work? I love traveling. I really enjoy traveling. Um, and I used to travel a lot for the museum before I did this. However, it's a different type of traveling I do now. It's cool to see things. It's a lot of pressure, though. Um, so, like, if I do a lot of public speaking things, when I travel for the museum, I'm part of a team um, that is pulling off an event. Now that I'm my own company, I usually am the team and everything falls on me. So it's not like a leisurely, fun, like lighthearted, I'm going to go to Paris. It's like, I got to hit this, 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 make sure the footage is okay. If I'm speaking, I got to make sure this is okay. And that's very stressful and anxiety ridden. Um, so I'm looking forward to traveling just for me, uh, which doesn't happen very much. Everything I do now is like work focus. Uh, luckily, traveling isn't the worst thing that could happen. I wanted to ask, uh, how do you see your tech impacting the world? Cool. I'm I'm actually prepped for this question because I just I just got asked it. I blanked. I was like, oh no. Um, I was doing an interview with Samsung recently, and they asked me this question, and I told them I think everybody expects me to say. Um, my what I hope my tech to do is to open opportunities to kids all over so they can see new things and go in, in new careers. And I think that's a short term goal. My long term goal is that enough kids see themselves as valuable and worthy to make their own companies to make changes in their communities that they're actually in. I think for tech, we have a lot of examples of 
if you get into tech, then you can make this much money and be rich. But there's not many examples of if you get into tech, you can make a real change to your community so your community members don't have to struggle like they've been doing. So I want people to come together and see, like, what do we have to do to resolve those problems in our communities? Um, whether it's reporting potholes, for example, right? Like, that's a, something that we see a lot of where kids are, like, outside, like, basically shoveling in potholes and doing stuff. They shouldn't have to do that. Is there a way tech can be used to report those things, to make something happen? I have a friend in his company is called Concern, and they are uh, first, they are alternative 911 responders to um, homelessness and mental problems. Mm-hmm. So instead of the police coming and putting you and throwing you into jail because, you know, like you're having a breakdown in the park, how can you get the services you need um, and be taken care of in a compassionate way? Um, that's a tech company, right? So I'm hoping that kids all over start to know that they have everything they need to make the changes that they want to see in the world right now. And they can go a lot further when they get together and start brainstorming like that. Do you see yourself as more of a uh, leader for African-American women or women in general? Um, I will say by trade, I am a teacher. Um, So I've always had to be, you know, um, a unofficial role model for a lot of kids and modeling things for them um, and being there to answer questions, a lot of questions uh, for different things that, you know, they are up against for the first time. So I don't see myself as a leader, I see myself as a continuation of being a teacher uh, for the students in which I make products for. Um, You can look at a lot of these tech companies, but a lot of ed tech companies are not made by teachers. They're made by people who saw a really big profit opportunity. So I'm also, if anything, I'm hoping that I can be a leader for teachers so they can start making products that we need so desperately for kids that are not going to move fast and break kids. You know, we want want good things that are on the market. Um, So I'm hoping... From all of this, my biggest hope is that people start to work together and see that they are able to make the changes that the world so desperately needs. We need everybody's voice. Um, so if we're going to like course correct a lot of things that are happening from data to privacy to um, content that's put out. Um, so uh, just last question to like wrap things okay. up. But uh, what advice would you give to girls who are uh, listening to this podcast? The advice I would give to anybody, especially girls listening to this podcast, is um, whatever idea that you have, it's important to start where you are, start with what you know, and start with what you have. People always be like, how do I start? You just start. You know, you want to do, like, I have a friend who wants to do, like, a music listening company or something, and she's like, well, I don't have the money for this. I'm like, well, no, you put your friends in a room and play music and go from there and you just start with what you have and then you see, do they like it? Do they not? There are a lot of people that are making problems, uh, solutions to problems that don't exist. You know, so they put all this money into making this big thing and then they get in front of people and they're like, oh, nobody even wanted it in the first place. Um, So I will also tell people that for some reason, people think that I'm fearless in anything that I do and that's not the case. What I've learned from entrepreneurship is me personally, I'm afraid every single day, multiple times a day. I have to go in front of 200 kids right now who are high school kids. They're going to be in 10th grade. I'm just like, ah, oh, I hope this doesn't, I hope they're kind. Um, you know, but the thing with that is that you're never, people don't start because they're so terrified. And what I've learned is that 
you're going to have to learn to do everything you're doing in fear. Um, the goal isn't to be fearless, it's to be brave. And being brave means taking baby steps, you know, little by little. Even if you're taking one tiny baby step once a week, those weeks add up. And when you when you look to see where you are compared to everybody else that you've talked to, you'll see that probably 98% of the people never take a step towards their dreams ever. So even if you take one baby step a month, you're like, you're winning by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you find people who are similarly thinking about those things, it's important to kind of tribe up and make those relationships because you can't do this alone. This is, this will kill you. Um, You know, the craziness that I go through every single day, um, I'm kind of used to it because I grew up in such a challenging way. Um, But for people who did not, man, you have to have a new level of tenacity to survive the day to day. Um, And the last thing that I'll say is that, uh, you know, measure success in a way that's comfortable for you. You know, looking back now in hindsight of all these companies, watching them in the news, um, watching these IPOs or initial public offerings, those are the people when they go to um, the market, when they go public, um, and you're seeing what's happening it's like, oh, I think we're good right where we are. Um, and I'm glad we didn't measure ourselves based on um, these views of what we needed to do to be a successful tech company. And I think a lot of the things that we have looked up to are starting to come crashing down very fast. Thank you so we much. We really appreciate well, you taking the time. I had a blast, and please don't be a stranger. If I can help with anything, you have all my information, you have my email, and I am looking forward to supporting all the cool things you do. So Aww. when you send the podcast out, I will post it everywhere. So I'm Aww. so excited. <laughs> creators. We need more creators, and, and I always feel like, you know, everybody consumes content. We need more creators of content. Yeah, um, yeah. For my company, I actually pivoted my company to just not being – kids going on VR field trips to kids having a way to make the VR. And we, uh, we sponsor Mozilla is one of our sponsors and they're letting us use their platform that will allow kids to make VR with a drag and drop platform as opposed to like the coding that really like frustrates them very early on in a lot of these schools that I go to. So I'm so excited for my content creators to keep on creating and no matter what form it is. Thank you so much. All Girls Considered believes in a world where girls and women matter. You can support our work by donating at www.allgirlsconsidered.org slash donate right now. We can't do this without you.